The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, if you do have your Bible this morning, yes, we are in the book of Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, and uh, this morning we are in the Hebrews 11, probably one of the most famous sections of Hebrews, the Great Hall of Faith, and before you, uh, as you go there, I just want to remind you where we have been. This whole last year and a quarter uh, that we have been in the book of Hebrews, we've entitled the series Greater Than. Jesus is greater than angels and Moses. He's greater than the Old Testament law. He's greater than anything that this world could bring, and yet he allows us to call upon him. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who are under heavy persecution, so much so that they are needing to be encouraged. And you've heard me say it many times, but Hebrews is probably the most evangelistic book that we have in the Bible itself. The whole Bible is pointing back to Jesus saying, take him, he's greater than, he's better than, he's everything you need in Christ. And as he's gotten to chapter 11, in chapters 9 and 10, he was writing, yes, to those Christians, but also to some people kind of on the outside looking in within the group. And let me tell you, every church has them. And there, you may be one of them. I don't know. Who knows? But there are people who always show up to church who can give you the right answers, who have been around the people of God, who've experienced the blessing of God, but don't know God as revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. Billy Graham, at the height of his ministry, would argue that even 50% of the people, he said in his biography, just as I am, that 50% of people or less in churches today, he believed, and in his time, were saved, that many were simply going to church because it was habit. And there were some in this book of the group of Hebrews that had not yet come all the way to faith in Christ. And Hebrews 11 is the showcasing of the greatest saints that he could think of when he wrote this book to remind them that even these people were saved the same way that he's calling them to be saved. And how is that? By faith alone, in Jesus alone, by grace alone, as revealed in his word alone, to the glory of God alone. Those great five solos of the Reformation. And so as he comes to this, he kind of hits the, 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 the two opposites today because we're going to be talking about Joshua, the great leader and commander, the great virtuous man of Israel. And then we're going to be talking about the harlot, the prostitute, the red light district girl, Rahab. How in the world does God's grace find these two? We're going to remind ourselves, we're going to ask you to go back and with us to Joshua and, and look at some of these passages, but I want you to know that if God can save Joshua and all his triumph, God can save Rahab and all of her sin. With that in mind, will you join us in standing if you're able this morning as we honor God's word? Joshua 11, Joshua, whoo, Hebrews 11, chapter, chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. You know you've been in a book of the Bible for a long time when you start naming the chapters after the people in the book of the Bible, right? Verse 30, and uh, this is by faith, and that is the calling card. Again, he's reminding, he's calling out to these people within the Hebrew congregation he's writing to to come all the way. And here it is, verse 30. By faith, the ESV says, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been given a friendly welcome to 
the spies. You have virtuous Joshua. You have the vice of Rahab. But in all that, Jesus is greater and greater still and greater than all the sin they bring to the table. Let's bow our heads together as we look at the the faith of Joshua, look at the faith of Rahab. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to you, we are grateful that you take us in as we are where we are. Father, you don't tell us to stay in that state because you want us to grow closer to your son, to be sanctified, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. But Father, it is true. You take us where we are, and we are grateful for that. We probably are easier to see that lesson today in Rahab, but how much more for us to see the grace of your hand also in the life of Joshua, this great victorious military political leader of the early exodus out of Egypt. Father, as we look at these things, even if they're reminders we know well, would you encourage us? Would you allow us to see your hand move? And most of all, would you be lifted high? We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. may be seated. Well, a recent study by a British scholar concluded that if the Apostle Paul had a house church, they would be comprised of various people. Probably within a house church, there would be a family. There would be a big family with slaves and dependents, probably their kids. There might even be some tenants, some people renting space within that house. There would also be some family members in that house church in the early days of the church itself. Maybe a couple slaves, maybe some free slaves. Maybe even some homeless people or some migrant workers. In the modern-day 1960s equivalent, it might look something like this on the screen. And many of you know this, this great Beatles band cover. This is the Sgt. Pepper's band. Am I saying that correctly? Brian's going to correct me if I don't know. He's shaking his head. The Beatles cover looks something like this, a walk of about everyone from life itself. And this is what the early church would have looked like, a little bit of here and a little bit of there, but all for one purpose. They came to worship the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's what the church is today. Do you think these people agreed on everything? No. Do you think that impossible is probably the right word there? Do you think their fellowships were different? Yes. Was their life hard together? Yes. Guess what? Not much has changed in the last 2,000 years about what churches are made up of. And that's the whole point of what it means to be a church. It's not about us individually. It's about us as a body. And the most amazing thing about God's kingdom is the vast array of people that make it up. Some people who come to church were born on the outskirts of the narrow gate. Some were born in a faraway country. They weren't even sure what the narrow gate was. Some people in churches grew up coming to church. Some people who are now in churches were avoiding church, like the plague. Some grew up in a children's, uh, a Christian home. Some grew up in the devil's home, if you want to put it that way. Some grew up in the church pew. Some grew up in the world's gutter. Some were religious but lost. Some are irreligious, but lost. But all of them, Romans 12 will say, it says, for there is no distinction, as you'll see on the screen, between Jew and Greek, for there is one Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call upon his name. We are grateful, aren't we, that the church just isn't white, middle-class suburbia, or African-American, or Hispanic, or Asian, or whatever fill-in-the-blank descriptor you can give. The point is, is that all of us need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we find here. We have two opposite people. One was a man. One was a woman. One was a prominent military leader. One was a lowly prostitute. Or if you have the King James, a harlot, I think is how she's described. One knew the Lord for years. One had known sin for many years. One was a great servant. One was a great sinner. One was well known for great victory. One was well known for her great sin. 
One was on God's first ballot for the hall of faith. One was on God's first ballot for the hall of shame. Yet how similar they were. Both were saved by faith in the grace of God alone. Both were believers and were united by this one fact. They didn't know it all, but they knew that God could save them. And that's what unite them. You know what makes this church unique and every church unique? Is what we hold in common. Most of us would not hang out at any place together because we don't have anything else in common. But together we have this in common. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're forgiven of your sin, you have more in common together here than you do with your neighbor who's politically aligned with you and who flies an American flag. I want you to think about that for a second. The gospel transcends every race, every ethnicity, every context, and it brings people together. So what do we learn from these two people, Joshua and Rahab? And, 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 and is there too much sin that God can forgive? And, and what do we know that God can use in a boring testimony like Joshua versus a very dramatic testimony of coming to Christ like Rahab? All questions we hope to answer today. And the big idea is simply this, and you'll see it on the screen, is that no sinner or situation or sin is too hard for the Lord to overcome. And this morning, while the world has been infatuated with diversity in recent decades, many of you have uh, uh, privately loathed to me some of the diversity training that you've had, and it's, it's neither here nor there in this sermon, but I want you to know the church has celebrated diversity for years because our churches are brought together by a God who is a God of many nations. And on that day, every tribe, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that who is Lord? Jesus Christ is Lord. And they're going to all come from different backgrounds. The church is made up of Joshua's. It's made up of Rahab's. Some of us knew the Lord growing up. Some of us didn't. But great sinners come together with a great Savior in the local church. Nothing is too hard for this God. So this morning, two things we want to see. The two opposites with one faith. We want to see the strong faith of Joshua and the saving faith of Rahab. That's what the first one I want to start with today. The strong faith of Joshua. The strong faith of of Joshua. Now you need to know as a reminder, well, while you're there, if you will turn back to, jo- hold your spot in Hebrews, turn back to Joshua chapter 6, if you will. Joshua 6. We're going to be back there for a little bit as we come to this passage. But Joshua chapter 6. And I want to remind you that, that this, this place that is mentioned in Hebrews 11.30, Jericho, is a fortress. The, the children of Israel, Moses is dead now, and he's moved on to leadership, God has, with Joshua. Joshua has been there since the beginning. He's been a leader in the nation of Israel for years. He's been the forerunner, uh, uh, if you will, or the, 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 the forebearer after, after uh, the death of Moses. And now they find themselves at the biggest test of faith yet, the walls of Jericho. You cannot go around it. You cannot go through it. You are at it. Uh, you're really at a precipice right now. They have to come to a place where they are going to go straight at it. But here's the problem: they're not a trained army. They're just a bunch of, of, of townspeople. They're a bunch of workers. They don't have metal weapons. They don't have siege towers. They don't have F-15s ready to drop bombs on the city. They're simply a bunch of wandering nomads. But wandering nomads with a great faith. And a mighty God. And I want to remind you, if you go back to Joshua chapter 6, what it says here. It says in verse 1, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. This was not just any city. This was one of the greatest cities ever made. 
And now they've heard the story the people of Jericho have about how the Israelites have walked across the dry land of the Jordan River. That's Joshua chapter 2. And now they're marching out. And can you imagine the fear and trepidation as you see millions of people getting ready to surround your city? And oh, by the way, if you want to put this in Missouri terms, that was St. Louis, Kansas City, Springfield, Branson. That has a lot of people, doesn't it? Um, and all the little mid-cities across the nation, across the state combined, would probably have been about a third of the people you saw walking up to the gates of Jericho. The walls are shut up tight. So the people of Jericho are shaking in their boots. But now, what do they do? They're led. There are men, there are women, there are priests. And so if you're an Israelite, you're thinking, what are we going to do? And God tells them what they're going to do. He tells them very clearly what they're going to do. Verse 2, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given you Jericho into your hand. Now, if you're a casual observer and you look at Jericho, you're like, Lord, <laughs> have you seen the city? Do you know how thick those walls are? And oh, by the way, church, those walls were about six foot thick on one wall, a little gap. They used to race chariots around the inner walls and another six feet thick in that wall. And oh, by the way, they went up about 18 to 25 feet high. This is not child's play. This is an impregnable fortress that no one has ever dared cross or take under siege. And it says, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. And thus, verse 3, shall you do for six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark on the seventh day. And you shall march around the city seven times. And the priest shall blow the trumpet. And verse 5, when they make a long blast of the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up every man straight before him. And Joshua got kicked off the building committee at First Baptist Church of the wandering Israelite community. How crazy this is. I mean, really, how crazy of a thought this is. This is a double-walled system. You might as well have questioned everything about it. But what he's calling them to, first off, is obedience. He's calling them to instant obedience. Think about, I'm going to give you a little history of some names that you know well. Do you remember that guy Naaman? Naaman, N-A-A-M-A-N, who had leprosy? And the prophet told him to go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. And what did he do? That's a dirty river, those dirty Israelites. I'm not going to do that. And his servant said, you best listen to the prophet. And the moment he did what the prophet said, oh boy, he was cleansed right away, wouldn't he? What about Elijah? How God fed him with the ravens. Elijah didn't question how he was going to be fed in the midst of a drought. God did it. Or the apostles, under Jesus' command to feed these 5,000 people. How the bread and the fish just kept coming and coming and coming. And CeCe's Pizza and Old Country Buffet and Golden Corral could not supply all those people. It was the hand of God doing the work of God. It was a call for them to be obedient. That was the plan A. And Joshua had a decision to make. Will I follow it or will I not? Will I do what God says or will I not? So, verse 6, he calls the priests after heeding, hearing the word of God, and notice what they do. Verse 6 says, So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant. Let the seven priests bear seven trumpets and the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to them, Go forward. March around the city and let the armed men pass on before. Notice that they went forward. He did not question it. He did not say, Guys, I have doubts about it. He just said, Go. And he said, do it. 
So verse 8 picks it up, and it says, Joshua commanded the people, seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. And then the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking around the ark while the trumpets blew continually. Chapter 6, verse 10. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Can you imagine the faith it took to do just that very thing? Joshua was a victorious military leader. He had led the people of Israel in their wanderings in the desert. You remember back in days gone by that, that Moses had sent the spies. This is 40 years ago. Moses sent spies, including Joshua and Caleb, and they saw the big city of Jericho. And Joshua and Caleb came back to them and said, we can absolutely take that city. The other 10 spies said, whoa, they're really big. They're really big people, and we're really small people. And the faith of the people was swayed by the negative reports of 10 people, and God sent them wandering through the desert. Joshua remembers that as he tells these people what they're supposed to do. But I want you to get what happens next. Look at verse 13, verse 12. Then Joshua, notice the instant obedience here. Joshua rose early in the morning. I don't know if he had his coffee. I don't know if he had coffee that time, but he got up early. And the priest took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them in the rear guard, walking in the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did that for six days. Can you imagine what the people on the walls were thinking? Those dumb Israelites, they probably got their bows ready. It doesn't say they shot at them. But the people inside the city thought, how stupid are they? Where They're blowing a horn. What do they have on us? What can they do to us? But look at verse 15. You notice here that he rose early again. That's a key thing. On the seventh day, not just Joshua, but they rose early at the dawn and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was only on that seventh day they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, verse 16, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that was in it shall be devoted to destruction for the Lord. But only Rahab the prostitute or the harlot and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers with whom she had sent. Notice that patience. Seven days. You know, most church people will follow their leadership for a little while, but when they start to see things not going as fast as they like or for others as slow as they like, we start to get a little impatient, don't we? Everybody was unified on this one thing, and they shouted. And when they shouted, what happened? The walls came down. Go down to verse 20. We're going to skip a couple verses there. But verse 20 picks it up. And it says, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So every people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city and they devoted the city to, to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. Everyone began to shout. This must have been a Pentecostal church, right? I'm just kidding. Why is this recorded for you? It's recorded for you 
because this is historical fact. It happened just as it happened. Please don't let liberal scholars tell you this did not happen. There's archaeological evidence as well as evidence of testimonies from cultures of those days that a major victory was made by the people of Israel. But secondly, it lets us see what a God we see, that he will remove all obstacles out of our way. What I want to remind you of something today, Amy, if you'll put this first one up on the screen. This is not on your notes, I don't believe. Yes, actually it is. But Joshua had a pretty boring life. Joshua grew up in the church, so to speak. He grew up in the people of faith. Joshua was just a regular believer. Yeah, he had seen God do some amazing things. But for all we know, Joshua had a pretty normal life of faith. Even though God did many amazing things, Joshua was not brought out from some crazy sin that we know of. Maybe he was. But for all we know, Joshua just followed the Lord from his early age up until the time he was. And many of you are in that same boat. You grew up in the church, you walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, you accepted Jesus in your heart, whatever language you want to say it, and you look at other people and say, boy, my conversion testimony experience, testimony is not as good as theirs are. I don't know about you, but every time God raises somebody from the dead, spiritually speaking, that's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it, church? If you are a Christian here today, and you're just simply following the orders of God like Joshua did, you are still a walking miracle of God's grace. Parents, grandparents, I have heard this out of the mouths of people I've served before who had teenagers. Well, if my kid just has a dramatic coming, like if they run away and they go off in deep sin and get in deep trouble with the law and they come back to Jesus, that's going to be a greater testimony for God than anything else. Oh, please don't go there. Do you really want your kid to go off into trouble and do all that crazy stuff? No. If you're here today and you have been saved, even if you grew up in a church and you've done nothing dramatic with your faith, even just being faithful to God, praise the Lord. And if you have kids and grandkids, let's pray they have boring testimonies for Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I want you to know Joshua had a pretty boring testimony. He just simply followed the Lord. What's another lesson we can learn from this episode here? It's simply this. The Christian life will always be met with many enemies, with many challenges and obstacles, but God. As we go forward in the will of God, church, Tower View, we are considering all these things because there will be bumps. There is never a smooth path as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have a smooth path following the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to question whether you're on the road that the Lord Jesus Christ would have for you. There are still battles to fight. James 1, 2 says, Don't consider it a strange thing, my brothers, that you go through many trials of various kinds. If you are a Christian, your life is going to be hard. That's the point. When Paul was saved, the Holy Spirit told Ananias, the man who would tell him about what happened to him, that he must suffer many things at the hands of the Gentiles. John 16, 33, Jesus reminds us in this world, you will have tribulation, but oh, have peace, because I've overcome the world. Matthew 4, after his baptism, immediately after the glorious Trinity working together, the Father saying, this is my Son, whom I am well pleased, Jesus being baptized, and the dove of the Holy Spirit coming down. Where does Jesus go? He went to the Hilton Inn back there just to kick his feet up for a bit, didn't he? No, he went right into the desert to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Whenever God opens the heavens to bless us, you better believe Satan will open the gates of hell to blast us. Stand firm. 
Secondly, we learn also that all obstacles, this will be the next slide, must be met with complete trust in God's nature and his power. God called them to the point as they walked around that city that the only thing that could get them into that city was God himself. It wasn't their military. They didn't have Chuck Norris on their side. They didn't have any of that stuff going for them. They just simply had a strong faith in a faithful, almighty, all-powerful God. And I want to tell you there today, that's what Hebrews 11.6 says. Hebrews 11.6 reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to what? To please Him. So church, individual Christian, I don't want to do one of those things. Well, if there's a Jericho in your life, then you need the walls to come tumbling down. Because I'll hear about it from our pastoral staff, but this also is true. Whatever you're facing in your life, the only way you're getting through that in your life is if your trust is completely in what God says about himself and what he plans to do through you to work through that situation. How often have you prayed for things and asked God for things and you didn't know where that thing was going to come from that you needed and God supplied it through someone or something? It happens all the time. God does it. Another thing we learn is that God's plan may seem foolish. Number three here, God's plan may seem foolish, but you go forward in faith anyway. Hey, my disciples, I want you to go into all the world and share the gospel. Jesus, how are we going to do that? You're going to preach. What? There's no marketing. There's no committee. There's no TV. There's no radio. There's no smartphones. Jesus, how are we going to do this? Go and share the gospel. Do you know what Jesus says the greatest way to win the world with is? It's simply just talking like this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Sometimes, church, we need to be very careful about what we allow into the church. This is not to say we can't, look, lights, the Bible didn't talk about lights or speakers or wearing red shirts on Sundays. We can do those things. But I want to remind you that we don't trust in those things. How many churches trust in their strategizing their proliferation of marketing and everything else to win people in. That's not what God says. How foolish we are appearing more and more to a sin-filled world. Teenagers, young kids, can I give a word to you for a second? Some of you are going to grow up and you're going to look at your parents and talk to your friends and say, my parents are simply out of step with the times. And kids, if you have a parent or a grandparent or someone in your life that's out of step with the times because they're trying to follow God's word, I want to tell you this. You need to say, thank you, Lord. Because I'd rather have a parent that's out of step with the times because they're out of sync than have someone who wants to keep up with the times and doesn't tell me about the God of every time, which is himself. So parents, grandparents, I want to remind you again today, as you raise kids in this world, grandkids, cousins, nieces, nephews, whatever you got, mixed families all around, stay the course with what God has for you, and he will bless you. Go forward in faith. Number four, what we learn from Joshua is that God's plan alone leads to victory. So Darren, didn't you just kind of talk about this? Yes, we did, but this is a little bit different. God's plan alone leads to victory. We don't get up that we don't make the game plan, God does. We do God's will, God's way, and God's work God's way, and God will bless us His way. That's it. This is why we don't do bait and switch as this church. We're not trying to sell anything to anybody. 
We are entering that time of the year in the next six weeks where my inbox as a pastor and Nelson gets us to and our mailbox here is going to be full of seven strategies to have the biggest Easter attendance you ever will have in the world. We want people to come. We want every seat here to be filled. Amen? And if you look at those strategies, it often involves the most crazy things from dropping uh, eggs out of a helicopter and hoping that no one gets hit on the head with them to if you just have an AK-47 as a giveaway prize at the door when they sign up and come and fill out the visitor's card, then you will have the greatest attendance you'll ever have. And if you think I'm joking, I kid you not, I'm not. This stuff happens all the time. So grateful that Joshua did not give in to the ways of the world. Look, this does not mean we can't sit down as a church and say, you know, maybe we should focus and pray for this, and maybe we need to give resource to this and, and plan out this. We do that with great wisdom in God's word and filter everything through the word, but we don't trust in methods to do God's work. God's work is simple. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's it. Many battles are fought the wrong way. Proverbs 14, 22 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it's a way of death. So church, I would encourage us this morning, families, encourage you this morning, may our plans for everything and everyone about us, every situation be taken to the Lord. May we ask his wisdom. May we trust his plan. May we move forward with faith, with the strong faith that was shown to us by our friend Joshua. But now we gotta talk about the opposite, don't we? The strong faith of Joshua. I want you to see number two. I want you to see the saving faith of Rahab. Would you hold your your spot there in uh, 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 Joshua 6 and go back to Joshua chapter 2? Joshua chapter 2. And while you go to Joshua 2, I want you to also uh, go back to Hebrews 11. Hold your spot in Joshua 2 and flip back with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see and remind ourselves what the writer says. I'll read verse 30 and go to verse 31. So hold Joshua 2, go back to chapter 11 of Hebrews. He says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Verse 31, By faith Rahab the prostitute or the harlot did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been given a friendly welcome to the spies. Okay, you ready for this? Hold your spot there. Go to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. You know this story well, many of you. You remember that uh, as Joshua learned to send spies into the land, he sends a couple spies. They're unnamed. We don't really know much about them. All we know is that they obediently followed their leader, Joshua. He sent two men. doesn't say old men. doesn't say young men. It just says two men. And we pick it up in verse 1, and he says, Go view the land. And they went into the house of the prostitute, and whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, verse 2, chapter 2, Behold, the men of Israel come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who've come to you, who entered your house, for they've come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out, and I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid on in order to laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. 
There's a lot to unpack here, isn't there? There's a lot to unpack with this. If you're a young kid here today, I just want to remind you, um, these are, uh, we are talking about some, uh, a lady who, who um, is into a profession, is into a job, is not something we want you to emulate. The Bible does not uplift her job. The Bible does not say what she did for a living made her a virtuous woman, so to speak. But she became a trophy of God's grace. And so here you see the ground of her faith. The ground of her faith is, is that these men came to her. And she at some point is going to hear what is going to happen. And so in verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to the roof and said to the men, verse 9, I know the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of all has fallen upon us, that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og who were devoted to destruction. And verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is the God who is the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And verse 14, and the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell the business of ours, then we will, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. What a faith she had. Her faith was grounded in the fact that she could trust the God of people she had never met. Have you ever met someone like that before? Who seemingly had a strong faith in God, but had never really been explained the things of God? And what was the effect of her faith? She welcomed them in. The Bible says that those who are of the faith of God are welcoming people. They're generous, hospitable people. Brother Brian read about that at the start from 1 Peter. But you notice the nature of her faith in those verses. It's a very singular faith. It's not, oh, I'm still going to worship these gods over here. It's the Lord God, the one who did these things. Do you see how God is bringing her from a, a concept about herself, about God, to now seeing herself in light of his holiness? There's also a confession of faith. Our hearts melted before us. We heard about it, and it melted. And then you see the breadth of her faith. You now see she has compassion for her unsafe family and friends. Did you notice that there? How did she hear about this? Guys, this is crazy to think. But travelers would come, and they'd be looking for services that they could not be provided on the road. You understand what that means. And every man and every woman would have heard about what happened in Egypt. Can you believe they died in the Red Sea? So as she is performing her job, so to speak, she's hearing these stories. Even in her sin, God is drawing her to himself. So much that she now says, I want everyone else to know about them. I want them to know the mark of a true Christian is that we want other people to know about Jesus. Spurgeon said, if you have no desire for others to be saved, then, sir or ma'am, you have no confidence that you are saved yourself. But you also notice the imperfection of our faith. Can I ask you to turn one more spot? Can you go to the book of James, chapter 2? Because this is the big question, isn't it? Did she tell the truth to those pursuers? Did she tell them the actual God-given truth about these men and where they were? No, she did not. She told a lie. So I want you to go to James chapter 2, and I want you to see this with me. 
James chapter 2. If you're in Hebrews, that's the next book over. James chapter 2, verse 25. This is James reflecting on this whole episode. What happened to her faith? Did she lie? Was it, was it perfect? I want you to see how James phrased this. James chapter 2, verse 25. Rahab the prostitute was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. I want you to notice what is said here. Does James mention anything about her lie? Absolutely not. What does James affirm? She is affirmed in the imperfection of her faith. That is, that she did tell a lie, but that lie was for a greater good to save the people of God to do the work of God. And so what was the reward of her faith? The reward of her faith was coming in Joshua 6.25, and I will read that to you because you're turning a lot. Joshua 6.25 says it this way. What was the reward for her faith? Joshua 6.25 says, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her were saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy her out. She was a great sinner, wasn't she? But do you see how in her great sin God brought her to a saving faith that only God could do? If you know someone like Rahab in your life, maybe she's not a harlot or a prostitute, but you know someone who seems so far off from the grace of God, oh, do not give up hope just yet. Rahab would be in the line of Jesus someday. And in that line of Jesus, she was not identified with her sin. We'll get there in a minute. She was identified as being in the Messiah's lineage. So what do we learn from this? Amy, if you want to put that first one up, that would be great, please. What do we learn from this? There's many things we learn. But I think the first off is you must choose whether to stand with the Lord or stand with the world. I will admit there are numerous things you can write out here. I've picked about three or four. But she had to make a decision. She had to decide if she was going to stand with the people, the culture, and the, the, the nation that she grew up with, or she was going to believe what was coming to them. The call was to obey. And that is the same call for you, Christian. You have to take up your cross or you don't take up your cross and follow Jesus daily. Young people, you must choose whether you know the gospel or not. You can't ride your parents' coattails. If you're a visitor here today, you can't be saved. You can't know, be a Christian because your friend is a Christian. There are no fence sitters. There are no Switzerlands in World War II that don't want to make a choice about which side to take in the Great War. He who is not with me, Jesus said, is against me. You know, the world says you just need to have what we call the American dream. You need to have your finances together, 2.75 kids, a nice house, a good driveway, a good job. But the cross says you need forgiveness. The world says you are innately good and your problems are outside of yourself. It's all the Israelites' problems, all the Jews. It's all whatever, whatever group we're, we're blaming at this century. But the cross says you're not good and your problem is with you and you need saving. The world says you deserve better. The cross says you deserve worse. The world says you must decide what is true. The cross says Jesus is the truth. The world says trust in yourself, but Jesus says trust in me. The world says save your life. The cross says lose your life for the sake of the gospel, and you will save it. The world says all religions are like right. All roads lead to Rome, or to put it another way, I heard in college a lot at William Jewell, all roads lead up the same mountain, Darren. But the cross says there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. 
the world says be on the right side of history for your 15 minutes of fame, but the cross says be on the right side of eternity, only in the risen Savior. You must decide which one you will choose. Are you for Christ or are you against Christ? Second thing you need to know about Rahab and her faith is you may choose God no matter how sinful your past. Some of you come from some pretty broken homes. Your children may have grown up in a broken home and you came to faith later in life. I don't know. But if there is any hope for grace for me, the answer is yes. Rahab says there is. No matter where you've been or what you've done, Jesus can make you new. In Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1, we preached on this many years ago, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth the Moabite, Bathsheba are all there that God can redeem anyone and anything. But I want you to know that Rahab is not identified as a prostitute there. Her identification with Jesus frees her from her identification with her sin. And some of you are known by, I used to be this, but now I'm that. That's what 1 Peter 4 we read at the start was. So confess your sin, turn to the Lord, and he's the great doctor of the soul. He will forgive you. And if you're a Christian, never forget how far you have come. Don't let your theology, your biblical belief in God, get your head so big that you're not compassionate anymore to a sinner who walks into the door. Be careful how far that can take you. Number three, if you choose God, you will be saved from the destruction to come. What a choice Rahab made, didn't she? You know, you watch those movies sometimes where they say, you have a choice in this moment. Here's a red pill and a blue pill. Take the red pill and your life will be better forever and you'll, uh, uh, you'll, you'll be the same and same and same. Excuse me, let me say it again. Take this pill over here and life will stay the same. Take this pill over here and you'll have a new life and new experiences. I don't know what lies ahead. And there's always that you can see that sweat coming off that guy. Like, which one do I choose? Which one do I choose? Which one do I choose? But Rahab chose the best one, didn't she? She didn't know how it would all work out, but she had enough information to make a choice. And friend, if you're here today, if you choose God, that's a signal that God has chosen you in Jesus Christ. Because we are dead in our sins. And the hour is coming. Romans 5, 9 says that God is going to judge the world. But for those of us in Christ, it says, quote, you will be saved from the wrath of God. Can you say it with me? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I hear a lot of King James, NIV, ESV, uh, every, every version kind of mixing in there, but you get it. Our sins closed the entrance to heaven as tightly as Jericho was. And the walls of depravity around our heart were so impenetrable. But God, in Christ, took those walls of sin and busted it down. And he rescued every Rahab in our heart just as she was rescued physically. So how do you do that? Last slide is here. How do you do that? Well, you hear the word of God, you honor the word of God, and you heed the word of God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to honor the word of God. You need to hear the word of God, and you need to heed it. You need to obey it. She heard it with her ears. She heard it. She understood it. She acted upon it. She honored what it asked her to do, that was to trust in a God she didn't know. And in that trusting, she heeded the warning. She gathered all the people around her that were dear to her. And notice it wasn't the men that she serviced, it was the people that she cared for, her family, her brothers, her sisters, her nephews, her nieces, all the people. She gathered them in, 
and she acted upon it. Luke 6, 46-48, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? All who come to me and hear my words, act on them. He is like a man who builds his house on a rock. So church, today I'm going to ask a very simple question. Are you building your house on the rock of Jesus Christ? Are you trusting on the shifting sands of this world? Wherever you are, whether you are the virtuous Joshua or the vice-filled Rahab, Jesus Christ is greater than all and worthy of all of our adoration and respect. Church, I'll say this very clearly. I pray we are a church that welcomes anyone, anytime, anywhere. No matter what you look like, no matter what your skin color is, no matter what orientation you are, no matter what pronoun you may use. But I also pray that we stand faithful on the word of God as we love people where they are, as someone loved Rahab and her great misunderstanding about God at times. To show the truth patiently, to show the truth willingly, and to show the truth boldly. Because both are needed in this time and this day. We love you all so much, but nothing is too hard. No sin, no situation for our Lord to break. Amen? What a great God we serve. Let's close together in prayer today. Fathers, we come to you. Father, there are... Oh, I think I just lost my... There it is. Thank you. God, we know that there are things that can be written. There are volumes written about Joshua and Rahab. We can't check every application box. We are just grateful that their lives of faith are put out there for us. Both the success and perhaps the boringness of, of just growing up in the midst of even great things that Joshua had, but still a miracle of all that happened, and the drastic change of Rahab's life. In all these things, Lord, we are grateful to be reminded that you are God of all people everywhere who call upon you. So, Father, I pray, as our, even as I pray this, thinking about Gracemore and Maple Park, well, the most diverse area in the Northland of Kansas City, that you would help us to reach the nations of people that are like us, that are not like us, that might be sort of like us, and everyone in between. For, Father, you call all to repentance. For you have said a day, you told Paul, with a great speech in Romans, uh, excuse me, Acts 17, you fixed a day that you will judge the world in righteousness, and the quick and the dead will be judged. So, Father, I pray that you would be lifted high and glorified in all these things, we pray. And may our church always be a hospital for saints, not a museum for sinners, as has been well said, all to your glory. And Lord, may those not just be words that we say, but even the most practical ways, may that be true of how we reach people and the people that we seek to grow with and grow together in your name and go forward in faith with. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Brother. strong.